0: Get down with DND. Yeah, you know me. Get down with DND. Yeah,
1: you
0: know me. Get down with DND. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with DND? This whole party. Who's down with DND? Yeah, you know me. Get down with DND. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with DND. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with DND? Yeah, you know Are you ready to get down with some D and D? I know I am, and I am joined, as I am almost always joined, by the misty, mature, and monumental
1: Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? I feel like I've I've stepped into a dungeon, Chris. It, one might even call it a, a true dungeon. I mean, I've been in those true dungeons before,
0: also. I mean, they are they are immersive, and I even danced with a satyr one time. But uh, I think that the person who runs that the the Archmage himself, Alex Kammer, is here with us. Is that is that correct?
2: That's true. I've I've crept out of the shadows and uh, oh my God. you've dragged me out to uh, exp- yeah to r- r- uh, ring secrets for me.
0: Alex, yeah. I'm just I, w- w- if you could just drop the invisibility spell before you start talking, it would not startle me so much.
2: Oh, you bet. Sorry, my bad, my bad.
0: <laughs> That's okay. We are very um, pleased to have Alex Kammer, who is has his fingers in many many things in the gaming world these days, uh, on the show with us today. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: It's an honor to be here. I, I'm a fan of your your podcast. I love what you guys do.
0: Oh, thanks. I mean, we're. Uh, I mean, we're also like friends with, and we know a lot of the folks out your way too, like Brett and Sean from Gaming MBS, and uh, Hobbs and friends of the OSR. Jason Hobbs, he's actually on the network with us, and he just got nominated for an Emmy, So, yay, Hobbs, mm-hmm. good on you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yay.
0: So, uh, but we'll get into all that mm-hmm. stuff later. Um, do a few announcements, then we'll get into you, Alex. Very good. The first one, uh, the unintended consequences that ruined 4th edition's D&D's chance of success but proved great for gamers. This is once again an article by uh, DM David. Sean, we've talked about a ton of this stuff we've been following this along and we actually did like an episode or two on this very topic. Uh, Did you have anything to add before we, uh, before before I say anything else?
1: No, I want you to go first because I think everything that that David covered we've covered in some way uh, but I, we just need to point out that you know he is continuing this this series of blogs and they're a really insightful look into the business end of gaming and so i think it's important for people who are fans of the hobby and fans of the business to to understand i once again
0: it's like i love i loved the open game license when it first popped up i also loathe the open game <laughs> license for what it did to what it did to a lot of things i mean uh i i'm so that's that's really where it is for me, like you can't have an open game license if you're not going to do better than some other company, and that's exactly what happened here. Paizo took it and just ran with it and just destroyed every destroyed Wizards of the coast as far as quality of product goes in my opinion, and I think yeah. that's what happened
1: yeah it was you know it's an interesting look because everything so far has kind of been from the Wizards of the coast side of things, so looking at it from from paizo's point of view was they were between a rock and a hard place and they really had no direction based on their relationship with wizards that mm-hmm. was severed and so they they were they were hung out to dry so they did what the best thing they could and it was an incredibly bright business model and it was them being in the right place at the right time doing the right thing and they really benefited from it alex you have any thoughts
0: well
2: yeah i think I think you're absolutely right that's a spot on analysis and I think a a uh, a further the next step of that uh, that metamorphosis is what does Peso do now given the success of Five e and uh an open gaming license with the backdrop of their um, i don't know how to characterize the relationship with wizards as probably none um, other than that uh it seems to me that they uh have brilliant uh, product as far as adventures that could be easily converted to fifth edition uh, and uh, sold at at uh, great profit. I just don't think they'll ever do that for reasons that are not are, are non business, um, mm-hmm. and that's that's just kind of an interesting thing given what you just uh, outlined as to, as to their their path to uh, you know becoming such a center on the center of uh, the RPG world.
1: There's, there's only one quibble I had with DM David. This is the first time I'm going to call him out. Um, he talked about Paizo staff being sent to Fort Wayne uh, Winter Fantasy to play playtest uh, the 4E and see what it would be and if they wanted to be involved with it. And I have to say it wasn't in Fort Wayne. It was in Washington, D.C. And I only know this because I was DMing one of the tables that one of the Paizo uh, employees was at. And it was it was quite a fun, and I put fun in quotes, experience, because everyone was having a great time. Everyone was laughing, and we were just having a ball, except for one employee of Paizo who was just sitting there as grumpy as could be with a little cloud over his head <laughs> um, raining down. So I uh, – i that's the only thing I can call d m David out there is that one little fact was was off
0: well I'll be interested to see how well Pathfinder second edition or whatever they're calling it uh sells like how how mm-hmm. well it sells so that'll be interesting to see how their their business model takes off that way since they're gonna stick with uh, making their own game, which yep. is not not a bad thought like well, we'll see what happens
1: they have an audience the, the industry is growing and there's you know there's room for lots and lots of of game design companies and different kinds of games so I think they've got a good track record. I think they will find a niche at least enough to stay in business. Yeah, absolutely. Yep.
0: All right, number two, the 2018 Any Award nominees came out uh, earlier today So as we're recording this. So you'll all hear this next week, but they came out on the 4th of July. Uh, some of the highlights. Well, like I mentioned earlier, Hobbs and Friends of the OSR from Misdirected Mark Productions was nominated. So when the votes start, please go and vote for Hobbs. We'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, best blogs include Gnome Stew, which I write for. Um, so thank, yay, thank you. Uh, Sly Flourish, Mike Shea, and Elven Tower. I don't know that one, Sean.
1: Elven Tower is a map-making blog where you can find tons and tons and tons of great map content. Mm. A, a lot of maps used in DMs Guild products. You'll see Elven Tower as a contributor. Oh, that's cool. Um, so it's a it's a really cool blog, and I'm glad it, it got a nod.
0: Uh, best organized play is a category. I didn't even know that was coming.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this came out of nowhere. I saw the nominees and I'm like, okay, let me take a look and I'm looking down through and all of a sudden I see best organized play and I scratched my head and said, I did not know that was a thing. I know people had been talking about it and so I, I, looked at the nominees and the first nominee was lost tales of myth, Dr. which makes sense because all of the uh, D and D adventures league admins created that book. And it's really, it's a really nicely put together product. And then I looked at the next four and they were all, uh, convention created content adventures, three of them from cold iron uh, conventions productions. So, I mean, congratulations to Matt Crook, uh, Mike menza, Rob Silva, and William beers for nominations. Uh, yeah, great. I'm glad it's a category. I, I wish I had known because I might have put in some Bald Man Games adventures for, for uh, you know, submission and to, to be looked at. And I'm sure Alex, if if you had known, maybe you could have put some Gamehole con uh, content in there.
2: I would have been interested in just that. But uh, congratulations to those who got nominated. They're certainly worthy.
1: Yep. And also nominated for best free game was Esper Genesis Basic Rules. Uh, so congratulations to Rich Lescouflair and Alligator Alley Games for mm. for that. Um, off off of D&D, I just want to say congratulations to the Star Trek Adventures uh, player's book, core book. Uh, got nominated for Best Production Value, Best Rules, and Product of the Year. So I've got my fingers crossed for all the fine folks at Modiphius. Yeah, if only that book was organized better.
0: I'm just going to say that. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. Like, that book is beautiful. I love the rules of that game. And that product is kind of nice looking. I mean, it's a really pretty book. Except, you know, it's that, that organization is not so great on that book. I'm just throwing it out there. I don't know. Yeah. That's fine. That's fine. I wasn't on the, on the committee to pick nominees. I, don't, I, I would have given it the first two. I don't know about the last one. Because yeah. um, you need to have all the things, right? It has to be the whole package. Okay, <laughs> there's my opinion on that. Anyways, uh, last thing. Wizards of the Coast didn't submit anything, so there's no Wizards of the Coast products nominated.
1: That's true, and I don't know if that was accidental. If it was done on purpose, it you know would be interesting to know if if that was yeah how that fits into everything. But
2: I'll get an answer to that. I'll get to the. There you go. All right,
1: Alex. Thank you. Uh,
0: Last thing before we get to Alex is uh, we have a thousand sales over a thousand sales of the Return of the Lizard King. So thank everybody who purchased it. We greatly appreciate it. Congratulations.
1: We really do. Uh, It's in that strange limbo between. 1,000 sales and not quite platinum yet because you need about 1,050 or something strange like that to uh, to get platinum. But I really appreciate all the people that, that purchased it and who have been telling me that they're waiting for the sequel. The sequel will be out in the fall of this year. So um, hang in there and thanks again.
0: All right. Let's get to you, Alex. Thank you so much once again for coming. Uh, let's start with uh, who are you and what is your experience with D&D since you've been playing?
2: Uh, um, yeah, let's see. I started playing in 1982 uh, when I uh, was in a local. I'm sitting in uh, north of Madison, uh, where I was where I was growing up in a small town called Partyville near Portage, Wisconsin. And there was a, a convenience store there, and they had a um, a cardboard end cap that had the first four D&D hard mm-hmm. And I walked past it, and I could not even effing believe it. You know, I looked at that, and I said, "What?" Could this possibly be? I couldn't even, I mean, it just blew my mind. And I, uh, so I, I fervently uh, mowed lawns and raised the funds I needed to go buy The Player's Handbook, which was the first book I bought. And uh, it was the sixth printing. Uh, I, of course, didn't know that then, but uh, I still have that book. Um, and I started – I bought the books, and they were pretty inscrutable for a 12-year-old. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I thought they're awesome. You know, I was looking at things like the non-proficiency tables and, oh, my God, you know, how do you build a character? And wait, you, can, you can't do this if you're a dwarf and what? You know, and just – so uh, it was mostly just creating characters. I think a lot of kids did that when they just started with a friend, you know, kind of kicking on characters. Also, the Traveller box set came out about the same time, so we're building spaceships and the same kind of thing. You know, and we never actually play Traveller, but we're building ships. <laughs> um, and so the same. So, we, but then I kept all my stuff. I loved the books, and I loved. I was a big fantasy um, consumer of fantasy literature, and this that sort of dovetailed with it. And then I went, became a, I was a freshman at college at the UW-Madison in 1988, and it turned out that a bunch of people in my dorm floor sort of had the same experience, that they had uh, brushed with D&D as kids but never really played. And so then I started playing in earnest when I was 18 as a college freshman and played Pretty serious uh, uh, first edition D&D for a long time, and I remember when second edition was just coming out, and it pissed me off because I was a broke college kid. I'm like, I can't, I can't buy another set of books. You know, this is nonsense. And I you know, so I so I stubbornly played first edition for a long time. Uh, in fact, then uh, a couple of years, uh, you know, then I went away to law school, and when I was in law school, I did not play much D&D. But when I moved back to the Madison area to start my law practice. Um, I started meeting uh, new friends and uh, same sort of experience. People about my age who had uh, played D&D as kids and wanted to play again. And that's how the game hole was formed. That's my gaming group that exists to the current day. And that started about 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so we started playing uh, and we played first edition D&D for a long time. In fact, after Gen Con moved to Indianapolis, I remember there the first Gen Con Sitting there, and when you could still have open gaming, that was a thing that existed at Gen con still, uh, which is a long vanished animal now, um, but we 're sitting there and playing first edition d and d and people were walking by like what are you doing? I mean you still you play first edition d and d and it was kind of like a zoo animal kind of thing because three <laughs> and three point five was just splashing then, and uh, you know apparently that was that was odd so we 've been consistently in edition behind for a while. Um, It was not that, really. I mean, it was only about 15 years ago we started playing Second Edition, which really is a great rule set. And before Fifth Edition came out, it was my favorite rule set. Uh, I I just I I love it. For for finally, you know, uh, cleric spells started to make sense. You got a sense where you could figure out where they came from, and uh, you know, so I really like that rule set. And so, over the course of all these years of playing, I acquired uh, materials, uh, all the all the D&D stuff, and I keep my things. Uh, and it got to the point where I was, I had so much stuff, I started to realize, man, you know, I have a pretty big collection. And I started really looking into, It's about 15 years ago that I started looking into the collecting side of it. And uh, I realized there's this, you know, all kinds of stuff I didn't have. And I am just such a, I'm such a classic completionist nerd. You know, mm-hmm. I just have that, you know, like so many of us have. Um, that's why I never played magic because I know exactly how that ends and I'm just not even <laughs> going to go there. Uh, and, uh, you know, anyway, and also just with Marvel comics, I don't t- to do any DC comics for exactly the same reason, you know, anyway. Um, so I started acquiring all the stuff and now I have uh, a, a really, really, really big, uh, D&D collection, probably one of the, I would say probably the top five in the world because we all know each other, the top collectors. So I have, you know, going back to a chain mail first print, uh, going forward, I have pretty much everything and uh though my my most recent windmill tilt which i've now completed is uh getting a complete set of all the first and second edition dnd products in original shrink wrap uh and i have i have accomplished that so that now yeah. since the game hole is called the game hole because it was in my basement for years and uh so subterranean that's why we called it that um in the last 6 years uh i have uh, i acquired a pub with a friend and i moved the game hole upstairs of this pub uh close to my house and i have now at the game hall's a, a suite of rooms above a pub i own uh so it's pretty much the treehouse i always wanted um and uh so that's you know in i guess in a, in a pretty brief uh, description about where i where i've uh, where i've been and where i am now and i now am uh, absolutely adore fifth edition and i think it's just a fantastic rule set i think mike chris and jeremy and the guys did a wonderful job um and uh, it's completely energized my love of D D, which i had a deep love for anyway and uh, so that's how i've gotten into uh, freelance writing and all that kind of stuff just because it's such an accessible rule set and it's a fun set to write for uh, as you guys well know um, i don't need to tell you that mm-hmm. <laughs> so there, there you go
1: yeah as as someone who has been into the game hall I can attest to its voluminousness, its extensiveness. Uh, I thought I'm going to say something. I, let's just see how. And I asked about one of the you know, solo adventures where you had the marker that you could scribble in uh, and then see the text appear as you as you scribble over it. And not only did you have this obscure uh, adventure, you had I think two or three copies. One open and then one in shrink wrap. And I was like, okay, yep, he's got it all. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, the, the, to get the really old stuff too. Yeah, those ones are hard because the pens, uh, they you, you lose them of course. And, uh, they dry out. Uh, but, uh, yeah, those two, there are two of those with the invisible ink pens. Uh, also the ones that have the magic viewfinder, you know, the red little Mm -hmm. piece of plastic, uh, those ones are tough to find, uh, you know, because people would geek out on for a little bit and they'd get bored and they'd lose the, 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 the interpreter, the viewfinder thing. Um, and then a lot of stuff was just not printed very – You know, the, the TSR was, a, quite frankly, a pretty half-assed company when they started. I mean <laughs> they, they had limited print runs and they made all kinds of mistakes on stuff and – you know, so there are things that, uh, you know, uh, there are obscure things like the the, the saga of the Orange B3. Mm-hmm. You know, that's quite a quite a tale in and of itself. Uh, the ST1 up the Garden Path, you know, the module that was released in a garden show in England. I mean, just weird mm-hmm. stuff that we can spend hours talking about that there are only handfuls of copies. Uh, like the Jade Hare is another one that there are, as we know, as far as we know, there are only three shrink rat copies in the world. And I happen to have one of them. Um, but it's just, it's crazy uh, that because of just uh, you know this just wouldn't happen today the way um uh materials are being produced even a little imprint like i have for game Hole publishing <laughs> you know we have more copies than that i mean so it's uh, <laughs> that kind of scarcity just doesn't happen right
0: yeah, for those people who are interested in like following you and and seeing your and hearing about your collection and whatnot uh, you've been doing a twitter tour of your collection lately
2: yeah, yeah, that's, that, that, you know, started off, I, I just thought it'd be, I, I, I didn't want to, geez, it's one of those things where I, I didn't want to be vain, I, you know, but people are asking to see stuff and I thought, okay, you know, and also, so I thought I'd do it in terms of a, Really, a, a tour of the history of TSR. So, starting with Chainmail One, and in, in the in the mid seventies, and going through the brown boxes and the white boxes and the various printings, uh, to the era of modules, which which we are in, which in my tour I'm solidly solidly. And now, I just uh, yesterday uh, my post was it's in nineteen eighty seven. We're up to, and that was the hardbound uh, manual, of The Planes. Um, And then I'll be launching in on uh, tomorrow, I'll be starting the uh, modules from 1987. So I'm going through sequentially every TSR product that has ever been released, Um, not the ephemera stuff, you know, they did coloring books and towels and stuff like that. And I have some of that stuff, but Jesus would take forever. I'm talking about just the core gaming products. Uh, and uh, uh, so, yeah, it's been cool and people seem to really like it. And uh, I think it's what's the the funnest part for me is people reply and say, Hey, oh man, I totally forgot about that. I had that when I was a kid and uh, man, that brings back great memories. Thanks for sharing that. And that's, that's really cool. So I'm, I've been really gratified by the, the process uh, to do that. It's been su- super fun.
0: Yeah, that is really so, neat. And yeah. once again, like I've also seen, the game hall—it's amazing. Cause you know, Monty cooks game table from uh, where from, from Minnesota or wherever he was at the time is up in there. And there's like a lot of cool memorabilia aside from just, I mean, and then there's a giant wall that is just filled with all of that stuff in the shrink wrap. It's crazy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. And if, you know, and I, I, I say this and I, um, anyone who uh, ever wants to see the game hole, if you contact me and give me some warning and you're in Madison, Madison area and you want to check it out, I'm happy to, to, you know, meet you over there and give you the nickel tour. Uh, it's, you know, it's games are meant to be shared and, uh, yeah, Money Cook's table is what we play on. You know, he was living in Milwaukee when at the time and, uh, he couldn't take it with him when he moved to Seattle. So, um, that would worked out for me. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, so all the, all the old stuff, I've got some original stuff too. Like I got, uh, the, uh, the Lawrence Schick and Tom Moldvay maps that they played oh, on when man. they were in, in college, and uh, which became the Gazetteers mm-hmm. and the Maestera setting. So I have the original ones that they drew and played with. And uh, so cool stuff like that. So if you're a, a, a gaming history nut, um, you know, I, I'd welcome you and we could sit down and talk about all the stuff and you could see whatever you want to see.
1: That is, now, the next question is, how do you go from the game hole to game hole con?
2: Yeah, well, as you guys know, Gen Con used to be in Milwaukee for years. And uh, so, for example, back in 1988, when I picked up D&D again and we were playing, we slid down to Milwaukee for Madison. That's a 45-minute drive. And bang, we're at the largest gaming convention in the world. How cool was that? And, you know, we were pretty spoiled by that. And when it left for Indianapolis, uh, it was a huge void. And as you guys know, I think, you know, you appreciate that uh, Wisconsin's a pretty game in place. Um, because from the standpoint of this is where D and D is from, and just a lot of other factors, the university or whatever, I you know, but Minnesota, the, the upper Midwest, is a very intense, especially role playing games, and a lot of board games too. But uh, so we thought, you know, geez, look at all the folks that are living here in Madison and the in the South Central Wisconsin who are really well-known game designers. And look at how in Madison we lead the nation and probably the world in per capita game stores. This seems like a pretty good town to have a gaming convention in. And we look around the table and, and, uh, you know, who's in the game hall, the members, and there are nine of us, and we have a pretty broad array of skills, a couple of lawyers, some accountants, a bunch of IT people and stuff. I thought, you know, we probably could put on a pretty kick-ass show um, and run it the way uh, we want. We put on a show of the type that we want to go to. So that means well run. That means um, uh, n- uh, nice swag. That means, uh, you know, the trains run on time. Uh, that means that the, uh, the if you sign up for a game, it happens at the time uh, indicated, where indicated the, the DMGM's on time, uh, all that kind of stuff. And uh, so we thought, what the hell? Let's give it a shot. And uh, because we're the game hole, that's why it's called Game hole Con. That's why it's got such a funny name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we didn't really care if it worked or not. Quite frankly, uh, obviously, if you name something GameholeCon, you're not <laughs> pinning your fortunes on it. Uh, this is this is this is a joy project for us, and uh, I think that shines through on the the reception that it's had. We, we're doing this purely for fun, purely to help the community. We're not trying to make any money. We just want to promote gaming, celebrate gaming, and uh, enjoy gaming with our friends, um, you know, new and old. And uh, that's and the thing has grown like crazy. It's just I would never have foreseen. Uh, Here we are approaching our sixth year, the kind of numbers we're talking about with attendance and uh, the type of guests we have. And considering we started at the Sheridan in a couple ballrooms, you know, in 2013. Um, But, uh, you know, that first year Chris Perkins came out, you know, he heard, we we pinged Watsi and he apparently put up, raised his hand and said, hey, I'll go to Madison, what the hell. And uh, he's been one of our staunchest advocates uh, ever since he's come to every show, and, uh, and same, same with Tom Lomel, the Dungeon Bastard, they came out, and we, I think we showed those guys that we know what we're doing, and we can put on the you know the right run a con the right way, and for, for fun. And uh, it's just God, the thing's taken off, and it's uh, becoming a real challenge even for us nine to keep our arms around it okay. <laughs> and make sure that the the quality stays where we expect
1: it to be. Well, the, the guest list has gone from Tom and Chris to most of the D and D folks at Watsi. Tons of streamers, um, organized play folk coming in from everywhere. Um, It is quite a sight to behold just to scroll through the guest list, not to mention all the games that are going on. Uh, are there any noteworthy events that you wanted to highlight this year?
2: Well, uh, yeah, I guess uh, given the 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 D and D um that as we're talking about, we're 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 fortunate to have a very close relationship with uh, the Wizards Wizards guys and gals. I mean, they, they, we've become very good friends with them. Mike, Jeremy, and Chris, and Chris Lindsay, and Nathan, and uh, you know Greg Tito. They're just wonderful people, and they've been so good to us. Uh, they're, they're sponsoring a lounge called the laughing Odiug, uh, in, and the laughing Odiug is actually in, an in a module I wrote. So I picked that as the name of it. And there'll be some special D and D games there. And, uh, what we have is last year we had the largest ale hall in the country. And I think we're going to be probably about that again, just to put it in perspective, uh, origins, which had, they did a wonderful job. And Sean, you know, as you know, you were there and they, it was a great hall it had about 48, 49 tables. You know, we're, we're over 70, um, and so we have a massive AL hall and so we get, we're, we're doing the open. and i thank you again, Sean, for coming and helping with that. Uh, we'll do the red war, the season eight epic, you know, three premieres, um, Uh, So tons of AL stuff, and uh, then all the author-only stuff by all the admins, and then you can play some AL stuff with Jeremy Crawford, you can play some AL stuff with Mike Merles, you can play some stuff with Chris Perkins. We're the only show in the country where the whole D&D design team comes. Um, That's just humbling, quite frankly, and kind of strange. It's just it's amazing. Um, But uh, beyond that, I mean, I'm just i am just actually this morning talking to a certain person uh who is interested in coming um, who is a very well known um uh personality in uh online gaming uh who uh the, sh- the name of the show is with the initials CR and uh oh, wow. so we're working out those details so I believe Mr. Matt's going to be swinging by too uh, which is which is pretty amazing when you you know add that you know Monty Cook and and Steve Steve Jackson called me and said hey can I come back I said, well of course Steve you can come back you know I mean it's just it's just it's crazy it's just uh I don't know how this this all happened but it's it's pretty neat
0: I mean come on though. I mean Patrick Rothfuss is on the guest list I mean Monica Valentinelli like it's it's kind of an it's 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 insane Eric Lang's on the guest list like it's nutty. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I think it's I, well. We've always the the reason, and and Sean, I hope you know you can your unique position to comment on this, and you can tell me if I'm nuts. But uh, we really try to make sure that when our not only just our attendees have an awesome time, but our guests do too. That mm-hmm. we really try to treat you guys well because you're the engines in this industry, and um, you know we want the show that for people to come i work hard actually to make sure that people don't over schedule. i mean some of you guys come and say hey, i'll run, run you know seven slots of games no 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 just one maybe two a day but just 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 slow it down and then just enjoy your colleagues enjoy your time here this is it's not no one's trying to make any money here it's just have fun and i think the the uh i think our the industry folks appreciate that and uh like coming to uh it's kind of also end of the season you know, it's in November, uh, this year it's November eight through 11 here in Madison. And, uh, so you've gone through a lot of shows over the, over the course of the year. And it's kind of a wind down, um, uh, mm-hmm. celebration of the, of a successful gaming season. I guess that's what I look at it anyway. And, uh, I think that's what, uh, why people, they'll, I guess everyone always wants to come back, which is tremendous and flattering.
1: Yeah. You're- yeah. When I went two years ago, I can say that, you know, I felt right at home. It was a wonderful experience. It was, it was strange to get on the bus uh, to go to the Gamehole Con and you know realize I'm sitting you know in front of of Margaret Weiss and and sitting mm-hmm. behind you know s- some of the other luminaries whose games I you know worshipped in the 1979 and 1980s I started playing and I you know, I felt like I should have gotten off the bus very quickly uh, but yeah, it was it was it's just a, it's just a great experience all around for and I heard the same thing from just you know the attendees as well as the guests. Um, it's just a great celebration of gaming, for sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you.
0: Yeah, your uh, your attendance. It's like uh, last time I looked, and that was the year that I was there a couple of years ago. It was almost somewhere between three and five thousand people showed up
2: yeah that's right uh we've you know that's that's any business that grows 40 percent a year is a real challenge uh from just all kinds of standpoints yeah. logistically and um you know structurally and organizationally uh and so we're trying to stay ahead of it uh but yeah we'll be in that we'll be in that four to five thousand range uh Man. this year i mean uh you know we have with chew dungeon we have a lot of fans that come for that we have a lot of al fans we have a lot of board game fans you know and so there's a there's just a and we're also we I have young children, and so do most of the most of the folks that are members and we so it's very important to be family friendly and, uh, kid friendly. And so we have, I'm, I'm just delighted with the, uh, our kids track, which is taking off. And of course, Wizards is very excited about that. And a lot of people are contributing to that. Uh, but my daughter, who's 10, is going to run her first game. She's going to run a game of Dungeon, you know, the, the board game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so she's just beyond excited. She can't wait for November. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's cool. It's, it's just, it quite frankly it is emotional for me to see in our show, a, a hall dedicated to, um, six, to twelve-year-old kids playing D and D and and fantasy board games. I mean, I can't even imagine that as a child myself to have the opportunity to do something like that. And uh, yeah. so, yeah.
0: You, know, you also do a thing that I I, I greatly appreciate as a podcast. I've been doing this for seven years. Like, there's like a podcast row that you have these days too.
2: Yeah, yeah, we do. And uh, yeah, exactly. You've uh, you know, uh, that's a, a an unheralded but uh, but getting better part of the industry are the 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 dedicated podcast. Podcasters, I mean, you guys aren't making any money on any of this stuff. I mean, it's a, this is a, this is all uh, for the love of the of the game and the industry. Uh, you know, guys like Sean and Brett and, and Hobbs. I mean, geez. Uh, so the least we can do is give you guys a. Uh, uh, we created this podcast row. It's a ten by ten spot with uh, pipe and drape on three sides and a table, and you can. Uh, we do our best to uh, help coordinate interviewing uh, our attendees, and uh, so you can record a show there. And, uh, you know, we do that, of course, for no charge because we just want to say thanks for what you guys do to elevate the industry and to to bring it to so many people because, uh, you know, not everyone can go to cons and uh, some places don't even have a good game store. But if you have an internet connection, you can, uh, you know, tune in to you guys and hear what's going on in the industry. And that's that's pretty awesome. Uh, And that's something, again, that 10 years ago just wasn't a thing. Uh, this is truly an amazing era when you think about where the accessibility of the of D and D and the hobby now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned True Dungeon a little while ago. I mean, I know you you were partially uh, you're one of the co owners of True Dungeon.
2: That's right. That's right. The, 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 my partners are Jeff and Laurie Martin, and uh, Jeff and Lori have owned the, the True Dungeon from the get go, and they're from Carbondale, Illinois, and uh, just some of the nicest people in the world. Uh, Jeff is the 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 designer. Uh, he he's a a vastly underrated, uh, designer, a game designer, given what he's done,
0: mm-hmm. which
2: is to create a D and D, um, uh, game with, a, with character sheets faithful to the original classes. Uh, and you wear these sheets around your neck and you have a little flashlight to look at them as you go through this walking dungeon experience. Um, with all kinds of fun things that we like in D and D like magic weapons and potions and spells and all that kind of stuff while balancing things like power creep, which is a real challenge for any designer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the that, the, that vehicle are the tokens. Um, they're collectible tokens that have, you know, your weapons and and, and uh, uh, usable, uh, one-time use things and armor and so on. And to so to produce magic, uh, magic items in token form and still keep the game fun, so it's challenging without being too easy or too hard. I mean, that's a that's a very unique challenge when it comes to game design, and Jeff does an awesome job. And then just beyond that, the sheer uh spectacle of the special effects is unbelievable and every year i just oh, he man. always blows me away you guys won't believe when you see i've stepped through uh uh the newest one it's called n1 astral journey and oh, just man. wait to wait to see the rainbow bridge man it'll blow you away i couldn't <laughs> even believe it i said holy uh, you know i so uh you know i i was yeah so the, and that's the, the those are all the rolling out at uh first Gen Con, and then those three dungeons will be at GameholeCon, Con, so people can enjoy them uh, there as well, uh, or if they don't make it to Gen Con, which is certainly understandable, uh, can, can come to Madison and try them, and then we'll be in uh, PAX South and then uh, back to Origins. So that's the four show circuit that we do for uh, for True Dungeon.
0: So mm-hmm. I, uh, I I I haven't been in a True Dungeon in a, in a while, but the last time I was in True Dungeon was when they had the dragon. Oh, sure. And oh yeah. my, was that amazing. It's this. It was It was actually like a 20 foot almost tall animatronic dragon it was ridiculous and they had it had a horde and everything it was amazing and um i also was in the one that had the troll and the troll was also like 15 feet tall it was pretty great so if anybody ever gets a chance to do to try out true dungeon i highly recommend it it's a lot of fun um it's a lot of puzzle solving the combat is really clever you use a shuffleboard uh, mechanic where like you're sliding these pucks down, and uh, you have to use the the coins they set into these pucks, and uh, that you're trying to. All the shuffle boards have like depictions of the monsters that you are fighting on them, and then numbers on the monsters. So you're trying to not make sure the puck slides and stops on the highest number possible. And usually twenties are very hard to get. It's a it's a wonderful experience, especially all the puzzle solving. I like I like the puzzle sides often more than the combat sides.
1: Yeah, and what I find amazing about what what this has done is it. It was so unique when it was started. It wasn't like you could take, um, and 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 model it based on something else. Because uh, back when it started, there weren't escape rooms like there are now. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and so it wasn't. It developed completely and uniquely on its own. Yet it brings in brings in a lot of the D anD. D uh, stuff that we love.
2: Sometime when you guys have a moment, uh, you should have Jeff on the show because I, I'll and he should tell the story himself as to how this all came to be. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty far out story actually, and uh, uh, it's pretty damn entertaining. Uh, so that he's, he's a he's a great guy and it would be a good guest for you guys. But uh, the uh, awesome. what I like also about it. It sounds crunchy but it's not. See, my wife, for example, doesn't she's very tolerant of all my stuff and all the gaming and all the cons I go to, which is wonderful, but she's not really into D and D herself. But she likes True Dungeon. It's very accessible to people who are, you know, sort of more gamer light you know who are just mm-hmm. like fantasy stuff but are not not into crunchy games uh, she uh gets together with a uh, she has a, a group of friends and they always do a run at Game Con and they have a great time so it's not Sweet. it's just not for us you know uber nerds it's for you know people who um just just want to just experience it and uh yeah so that's that's the the the, the range of of play that it accommodates again is uh, pretty remarkable
1: i couldn't agree more speaking of range of play um you have published something with Ed Greenwood called Border Kingdoms: The Forgotten Realms Campaign Supplement. Uh, that area has quite a range of play in and of itself in terms of D and D. How did that come about?
2: Yeah, well, uh, again, our friends at uh, Wizards, uh, Chris Lindsay, uh, reached out to me and said, "Hey, were you interested in?" developing your own piece of the Forgotten Realms as an exclusive area to write concrete content for your show. And uh, that didn't really take me long to come up with that answer. And uh, But I reached out to Ed. Ed Greenwood's a good friend, fortunately. And again, that's just another just unbelievable thing that's happened in my life the last 10 years. But, you know, leave me that aside. So he's. I just gave him a buzz and said, Ed, you know, uh, we've been giving this chance. Where do you think we should go? Which should we pick? And the other group, of course, is uh, Dave with uh, Baldwin, uh, got to pick where he wanted to go. So Chris was trying with two groups to see how this would go. So we're the first two trial balloons, I guess. And so Ed uh, put together a list of about 10 different regions, and we kicked around the pros and cons of all of them. And for, so the Forgotten Realms has always been my setting. It's been my favorite setting forever. I, you know, I, I loved, I grew up on Greyhawk, like, you know almost everyone else too but the forgotten realms seems like a real place to me uh, and uh, so i i you know i read the novels and i all the 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 setting materials i really consumed uh, so i i you know i feel like i know the realms pretty well so anyway we're ca- talking about it and the border kingdoms why we like that so much why we eventually settled on it is that it's uh, a small a relatively small place but it's a cr- incredibly varied and very chaotic uh so it's temperate so for so there's for lots of uh geographic and biological reasons uh, you know you don't have to it's not just cold or something like that you can have pretty much all any kind of adventure there it's politically incredibly unstable uh and it is the border kingdoms i mean it's a it's a border country that's a sort of a buffer between shar and the rest of the of rest of the forgotten realms so there are incursions from you know foreigners all the time there are petty potentates rising to power and falling overnight uh it's got just it's so r- r- ripe and ripe for for uh uh adventuring. And so that's why we we picked it. Um and as you know, Sean, you're one of our one of our you've been you're kind enough to have agreed to to write something for us this year. Uh and we're going to be rolling out uh ten total Border Kingdom adventures for Adventure League for Game hulk Con this uh this fall. And Man. uh so yeah we have I just finished mine. I, I wrote something called the, For the Glory of Blautar, which is a a small village on the cusp of a big forest, and they've been chafing under uh, local uh, a, a, uh, uh, some some local rulers and they're they're ready for independence and they're ready to to uh, to, to revolt and so that's kind of what my my uh, my adventures about um, and you know Sean you're writing something pretty cool for us too, which I would like to hear about actually because i I've...
1: It's, 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 it's... So, so would i no. <laughs> it's uh it's going to be a special event. So it will come at the end of a trilogy, and it will be a large-scale battle. Um, I don't want to spoil too much, but you can expect a lot of interactive elements um, and a lot of gruesome death.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we had uh we had fun coming up with the central story for the for the uh for the season. Uh, we're going to we're going to take it as a, a season approach too just like the uh the Adventure League Mothership does. Nice. Uh and uh so this in our first season we have some uh NPCs we've created and some characters that will endure to plague adventurers down the road. Uh, and uh, So uh, I think it's going to be fun and I've, I've really been uh, delighted with the stuff I've seen everyone write so far. You know, Greg Marks is writing something. Uh, Alan Patrick's written a couple of things for us. Bill Benham is too. Uh, so we've got a lot of really uh, high quality authors uh, writing pretty fun stuff. So I think uh, our AL players. So in addition to the a bunch of season eight premieres and the, uh, you know, the open and the red war and the season eight epic, you can play all these concreated stuff that we're going to have mm-hmm. at our show. And uh, boy, AL players are going to have a blast. They're going to have a, a it's, I don't know how they're, they just can't, they can't get it all in, but uh, they'll, yeah. I'm sure they'll try. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That sounds like an amazing uh, setup that you have there. Uh, why did you decide to go with a season structure for the Border Kingdoms?
2: I guess it just made sense. That's what uh, that's what Wizards was doing uh, through the uh, through the Adventure League, and uh, it it it's it's um, you know I think we all our brains work episodically anyway. I think that's how mm-hmm. we so that's that's why it was easier to get our heads around it a little bit to sort of to create a story arc, uh, you know, a, a beginning and an end for this year. And it's also uh, because we well, you know obviously one show. Uh, per year. That that makes it easier to sort of contain it instead of having stray storylines. So we'll we'll have a main story arc each year and peripheral stories off that main story arc. Mine is, for example. I'm not part of the main trilogy. I wanted to write something that was a little off the off the beaten path, I guess, and uh, uh, but it, it echoes with the w- with the themes of the uh, the main the-, the main story, the main season story. Uh, nice, yeah, and uh, and I think the other the all the al admins are are not writing core stuff; they're writing peripheral things uh, t- uh, to also introduce everyone to the border kingdoms. I mean, that's one of the funnest things I think about writing uh, freelance writing is. Uh, uh, world building piece of it Mm -hmm. you know when you're really fleshing out this little village of Blaotar, for example and what the what the what the you know what the floor and fauna are like and all that i kind of geek out and all that stuff
0: do you mind if we take a second to talk about the structure of uh, how you have things set up because i'm curious i'm i'm very curious actually as to how you've set up the um so you have it sounds like you have a core trilogy that is like the main through line story and i guess sean are you writing the uh, are you writing the 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 little mini special thing that comes at the end of that trilogy is that what the deal is Mm -hmm.
1: That is correct,
0: and then you have so that would be six, four of the ten adventures. So then the other six are peripheral adventures that are just sort of um, based on the themes of that core trilogy.
2: That's right. You will, uh, in you know, I, I have seen some of them, uh, but in mine I can speak to. Of course, is uh, you will have references to the main NPCs. Uh, so their actions in the border kingdoms have ripples that affect what I'm doing in my adventure, and it'll underscore the, the central themes, uh, uh, the, the central adventure theme, uh, and that's what all the uh, the peripheral ones will at least have some reference to. That you know, not, and some are very you know, v- 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 sort of far flung and not not you know you, they're, they're they're also designed to be completely standalone, so you don't have to be familiar with the the central story to uh, to play. Uh, to play this, these peripheral adventures, which will be great for those who can't come to the show and are, are, are uh, DM skilled consumers. Uh, so mm-hmm. we want to give things that people can run, run off at stores and, and make it have make sense instead of having a... We, because we kicked around a nine-part series. I mean, geez, you can't... I mean, that's... First of all, it's just difficult that's for people. To, yeah, and people can't do that at a show anyway. So mm-hmm. we thought a trilogy is doable for, you know, the, 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 the vast majority of AL players at a show. And then to cap it off with, with Sean's super fun event, I'm Really looking forward to seeing how that all goes, uh, and then so lots of other tales that are around it to surround it and support it uh, and uh you know the then that that all the authors then can create their own nPCs which can endure as they write stuff hopefully for us uh, for two thousand and nineteen and twenty uh, in the Border kingdoms and develop it i mean it 's just a and Ed, you know, gosh, first of all, what a what a treat to be able to get mm. this huge book of lore that the guy bangs out in a couple of weeks, and it's just print ready and perfect, and you just say, all right, bam, let's release it. And you know, details of you know 35 cities and probably 50 other hamlets, and you know, all the different kinds of little ge- geographical details and stuff. And so it's when you have that to start with, it makes writing so much easier, and uh, and it's yeah, it's 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 a delight.
0: Yeah, that just sounds amazing and awesome at the same time. Like, are you thinking to take all this stuff and then collect it into a collection later to release to people?
2: That's possible. That's possible. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, certainly I'm still learning. Uh, you guys are much more familiar, uh, with the, uh, the DMs Guild and how it works, uh, than I am. And congratulations on the Lizard King success. I'm one of those purchasers. I think it's a wonderful product. So again, congratulations. Oh, thank um, you. Thank you. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, the Matt reached out to us about uh, you know doing a print-on-demand version of the of the Border Kingdoms book, and so that means, of course, getting it laid out differently and so on. So we're working on those kinds of things. So as we as we get a little more sophisticated with our uh, with our infrastructure, I guess, then we can do those kinds of things and and maybe maybe publish an omnibus uh, adventure uh, packet or something. Uh, but uh, no, but we'll certainly. Uh, release all the stuff that we've written this year in the form that it is uh you know we're commissioning original art covers for each of the adventures uh we're you know we're commissioning uh maps and internal illustrations so we're not we're we're not half-assing it i guess Uh, we really want to put out a nice product uh something people would say hey you know um this is this was worth the buck 99 or 299 or whatever we price it at and uh this is a really really good adventure uh and it also looks nice um because uh as you guys know there's a lot of there's wheat and there's chaff in the DM guild and so we're we're you know want to mm-hmm. be on one end not the other
0: <laughs> yeah i only ask because um one i i mean i'm a I work, I I have a small publishing company too, uh, obviously. And I'm like, I'm thinking about this. I'm like, wow, this would be a great set of products, right? Like this, the um, the Border Kingdom's book print on demand, that'd be great. And then having this collection of adventures to be like the first season of the Border Kingdom adventures with a main through storyline with that special sort of event at the end of it. And then like six supporting adventures that go around it. Like, that's a really cool idea. I really like it a lot. I don't think I've, I haven't seen that yet as like a concept
1: out there. So that's really, it's really pretty special. And how, and how great is it to even have the opportunity to do that? Oh, I know, right? <laughs> you, know, grow, you know, growing up back in playing D anD D in the seventies and eighties, and even in the nineties, where boy, I'd love to do this, but there's nowhere for me to go except maybe Dungeon or Dragon magazine, um, and just the the forethought that Wizards had to to let people do this and so we can even have this conversation is is an incredible thing mm-hmm.
2: yeah it is and the the growth of the i remember when chris Lindsay we were talking about years ago about hey i want to do this thing called dm's guild and he was telling me about it. i said oh, okay I, you know how are you going to keep your hands around it you know you cut people loose with your ip and you know what is it what are you gonna is this going to be as you mentioned the ogl uh is that going to be a repeat of that which uh, you know had some great stuff and had some terrible stuff uh and uh, I am just—I am delighted for them, and delighted for all the people who are actually making money on it too. I mean, there's some real money being made on that, which is fantastic to be able to uh, uh-huh. for for creatives to actually make some money doing this. Gosh, that's wonderful! Uh, and the success that it's had is 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 fantastic. It's Certainly exceeded what I thought was possible. I had no idea that it was going to be that popular and that the the quality. Of a uh, product was going to be that high. It's just, it's fantastic. So I, yeah, I completely agree with you, Sean. What a, what a, what a wonderful thing they did, and uh, I, I think they would admit that they didn't even expect it to be quite as big as it is.
1: <laughs> I think you're right,
0: um, Sean. Do you have anything else to ask? I. I think i've got everything covered yeah alex is there anything else you wanted to mention
2: um no just to, i hope that uh you know folks out there that want to come and check out our show will swing by our site and take a look at just gameholecon.com uh we're always going to be in early november uh in, in madison wisconsin this year it's november 8 through 11 uh we try really hard to uh put on the best possible show for all attendees, uh, no matter what kind of game you like, what kind of gamer you are. Uh, you know, so that's, you know, as broad of array of, of RPGs, uh, uh, board games, and, and miniatures, gosh, that's been a really growing part of our show. That used to be, mm-hmm. we had virtually none to start, and now we have about 15, 20% are miniatures. We have a big miniatures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that's really cool. So, uh, you know, and things like, you know, hey. f- paint and take for miniatures and all that kind of stuff for kids. Uh, I, I really hope we hmm. have something for everyone, but so...
0: Do you get a lot of? Do you get a lot of X-wing players? A lot of
2: X-wing. Uh, we have a. We've had a. We started with the, um, the first sort of inroad was a War Machine, and now that's been the, the. With the new set of 40k rules, uh, that's been growing, and uh, and also some historical miniatures, which are cool. We we're get, we get getting oh, some nice. of those guys to come out and uh, set up Napoleonic Wars and all that kind of stuff, and you know these guys had have had these collections for 30 years and 40 years and they're, they're dusting them off. And, and for us, I mean, usually they're only, you know, there's, there's like their shows, dedicated shows like little wars and so on for that. But the fact that they're, oh. that they come to, to our show now, uh, as a, they want to be in kind of a featured in a bigger show, which is again, funny that we're a bigger show now, um, <laughs> is, uh, pretty cool. Uh, so, you know, uh, whatever, I think whatever your gaming interest is, I think we can, we can cover you. <laughs>
0: I, I think you're right. Uh, well, Alex, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Uh, I will have a link in the show notes to, to com, So everybody should go, or com. Everybody should go check out that show, especially if you're in that area. And even if you're not, you should drive far, far, far away to go there because it's worth your time, believe me. Well, with that... I will say, everyone, thank you so much for listening. I'm going to do a few Patreon shouts before we get out of here. Um, Craig, just Craig, the Lord of One Name. Stephen Farrell, the Knight of Layers. Eric Bontz, the Duke of Gators and the Lord of Beefness. Sean Gilgore, the Knight of All Edges. Eric Jeppesen, the Lord of Endurance. Plydean, the Duke of the Darkest Sons. Scott Robinson, the Duke of Dice. Eileen Barnes, the Duchess of Pandas Talking Games. P.K. Sullivan, the Queen's Royal Rocketeer. Uh, and Time Paradox, The Court Painter. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our
1: Patreon page on the website, and for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out. Or for $4 a month, you not only get a shout-out, but you also get to see our pre-production show notes.
0: And access to our Slack room, where you can just chat with us, because we're there yeah. kind of, you know, most of the day. We're usually, especially me and Sean, you know, we're usually around. Um, yep. If you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a booze, you can do so with an
1: Apple Podcast review. Those reviews help us, even if you're not listening via Apple Podcasts, because many other podcatchers use that as their way to rate and rank shows, and that helps make us more visible. So, Sean, uh, where can we find you on the Internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin or on the Down With d and D G Plus community. Uh, how about you, Chris? Uh,
0: you can hit me up at Mark on Twitter, or you can go to the website where you can uh, catch other great shows such as Bone, Stone, and Obsidian, where Wayne and Robert take monthly deep dives into Dark Sun and discuss it uh, all, across all editions of D&D. Uh, Alex, where can people find you on Twitter or on the internet?
2: Yeah, on uh, Twitter is at, at Alex, Alexander Kammer, uh and uh, Facebook, uh, the... Uh, GameholeCon site. Anytime you, you email contact at, I'm the guy who answers it. And uh, yeah, I think that covers it.
1: All right. Thank you so much. Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of encoded designs. So, Sean, what are we going to do now? I was going to let Alex answer that. Oh. Alex, what are we going to do now? I
2: think we're going to lie down, have something cold to drink, and enjoy the air conditioning.
1: Instead of, I think that's yeah. even better than fighting those pesky monsters. I agree. I agree. <laughs> Bye everybody. Bye bye. Thanks guys.
0: Get down with D N D. Yeah Get down with D N D. Yeah you know Get down with D N D. Yeah you know me.
1: down
0: with D N D? Down with Yeah you Get down with D N D. Yeah I'm down with D N D. Yeah you Who's down with D N D?